RFK Jr. goes to the Hill to testify about social media censorship and Democrats try to censor him. We learn that the FBI knew right away in 2019 that Hunter Biden's laptop was real, but refused to say so. And the left continues to fulminate over Jason Aldean's latest song. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. One of the really fascinating things about modern American life is the way that the left has really taken to censorship. It used to be, back when I was growing up, that it was the left who was very much against censorship. You had, you had groups like Tipper Gore's Parents Media Council who were saying that rap music was bad and that it led people to act in bad ways and believe bad things. And the left was saying, that's really censorious. That's truly, truly terrible. All those terrible evangelical Christians who are saying that you shouldn't expose your kids to particular messages. They were Puritans. Well, now it's the left that has embraced censorship, largely because they have grabbed the commanding heights of power in nearly all cultural arenas. And so since they have that, they feel like they have a right to basically say what can be said and what cannot be said. Now, Michael Schellenberger points this out. He shows a poll about Support for American government and tech companies restricting false information online. It's rising steadily in recent years, and it's almost entirely among Democrats. Media propaganda has depicted Republicans as fascists, terrible people. Basically, anybody who opposes the Democratic Party is now considered a font of misinformation or disinformation. The left has conflated those two terms. So disinformation used to be a term meaning, say, Russian propaganda infiltrated through American sources, for example. Now, misinformation and disinformation have been made into one term. Misinformation just means stuff I don't like very often. Sometimes it's outright false, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just a perspective that turns out to be true that you have attempted to censor, whether that would be the Hunter Biden laptop or whether that be the Wuhan lab leak theory. According to Pew Research Center, it shows that the percentage of American adults who say that the United States government should actually censor information has risen from 39% in 2018 to 55% in 2023. The percentage of Americans who say that tech companies should censor what can be seen and what cannot be seen, that rose from about 56% in 2018 to 65% in 2023. And that's almost entirely located among members of the Democratic Party. Well, what does this mean? It means that if you exist outside of the extremely narrow Overton window the Democratic Party has provided, they are perfectly fine with censoring you. This includes people who are Democrats, like RFK Jr., who until five seconds ago was considered a sort of environmentalist activist, very warm with Democrats. RFK Jr. is, of course, a Democrat. He has suggested the actual prosecution, for example, of people who do not agree with the climate change agenda. And yet that's not enough for Democrats because RFK Jr. now poses a threat to the viability of Joe Biden's presidential run. Joe Biden right now is polling in the 50 percentile, somewhere about 50, 55, 60 percent in virtually all the polls. RFK, he's not going to threaten him for the nomination, but if he takes away 15 or 20 percent of the vote, then that could really threaten the viability of Joe Biden's presidential run. So Republicans, in what is a pretty obvious political smart gambit, they had RFK Jr. come to the Hill to testify about social media censorship. And he blasted House Democrats. He said, we're trying to censor a censorship hearing after 102 of them signed a letter asking that he be disinvited from testifying before the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. So Kennedy went directly after the Democrats in this particular hearing. Again, it's, it's pretty amazing. They got 102 Democrats to sign a letter asking that Kennedy not be allowed to speak at this particular meeting. So RFK, in the lead up to the interview, he told Fox News that the Biden, the Biden administration, he said even the Trump administration under their sort of COVID administration had attempted to censor information that he was attempting to disseminate about the COVID vaccines, for example. What the 155-page decision records is this unprecedented effort by the White House to silence his political opponents. The first person they silenced was me. So President Biden came to office. And by, by the way, President Trump had censored me too, not for any misinformation, but for what they called malinformation. That means information that, while true, is inconvenient to the White House and inconvenient to or clashes with official orthodoxies. President Biden came into office on January 21st, 2021. Two days later, the White House ordered uh, Instagram and Facebook to censor me, and my, po my entire account was taken down three weeks later. So he came to the Hill to testify about this. And again, over 100 Democrats, more than half the Democratic caucus, or about half the Democratic caucus, signed an actual letter saying they didn't want him to be able to testify. This prompted RFK Jr. to say, you're trying to censor a censorship hearing. Here he was yesterday testifying about it. This is a letter that many of you signed 
Many of my fellow Democrats, I've spent my life in this party, I've devoted my life to the values of this party. This 102 people sign this. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address. This is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. He is correct about all of that. And then RFK Jr. went on to point out that the idea that you must trust, quote unquote, the experts, well, that's fallen into rather widely earned disrepute of late. You know, I'll just say this one thing. Trusting the experts is not a function of science. It's not a function of democracy. It's a function of religion and totalitarianism, and it does not make for a healthier population. Hey, he is right about all that now. What's amazing about this is the Democrats jumping full scale, like both feet onto the we cannot let RFK Jr. speak. Now, listen, I disagree with RFK Jr. on a wide variety of topics. Those topics range from uh, conspiracy theories that he has helped promulgate to some of the stuff that he says about vaccines, right? broadly speaking. With that said, have I ever called for RFK Jr. to be sent? In fact, it's hard for me to think of a single figure who I have suggested should be full on censored the way the Democrats attempted to censor RFK Jr., on the Hill. And, and it's not about what RFK Jr. is actually saying. It's the fact that RFK Jr. is a political threat to the Democratic Party. Everything is a power game to the people in power with the Democratic Party. It's not about principle. It's just about power. And by the way, it's all projection. So very often they'll look at members of the Republican Party and they will say, well, you know, for you guys, it's not about principle. It's just about power. Uh, no, actually, it's the opposite. The way the Democrats talk about the Supreme Court, for example, they will suggest that conservatives on the Supreme Court, they're just trying to wield evil conservative power, except that the conservatives on the Supreme Court very often vote in ways that a lot of conservatives don't like. It was Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee who is very conservative, who voted in Bostock to suggest that transgenderism was suddenly protected by the Civil Rights Act of 1964, for example. But Democrats are constantly using power as sort of its own excuse. And you can see that here. But they're going after RFK Jr. for a very simple reason. It is not because of his perspectives. They're going RFK Jr. because RFK Jr. is running against Joe Biden. It is that simple. And it's really, really gross. We'll get to more on this in a second. First, time for our meat of it question, sponsored by Good Ranchers, where we get to the meat of a hard-hitting weekly question. The question is, has woke ideology always been disguised within mainstream Hollywood movies, or did it get progressively worse? The answer is it got progressively worse. Actually, the Hollywood industry was founded by people who are rather conservative. It took up until about the 1960s for the full Hollywood leftism to rear its ugly head. There were kind of signs of it in the 30s, signs of it in the 40s, but it was really by the 60s that it started to become full-blown. And now, obviously, it's been completely taken over because the market's been disconnected from the actual movie makers. But whether or not these kinds of messages can disguise themselves in entertainment, one thing is for sure. Foreign meat can disguise itself as a product of the United States. Yes, grocery store shelves are riddled with meat from other countries disguised in a product of the USA label. If you prefer to know without a shadow of a doubt where your meat comes from instead of guessing, well, there's one place to go. That is Good Ranchers. They source 100% American meat and deliver it to your door. No disguises, no surprises. Just amazing. American beef, chicken, and pork conveniently delivered when you need it. What exactly are you waiting for? Enjoy real meat and real service today with Good Ranchers. Visit GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Ben for 30 bucks off any box. That's promo code Ben at GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com is American meat delivered. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, not only do blinds enhance the aesthetic appeal of your home, they also offer practical benefits. By effectively blocking out harmful UV rays, they help protect your furniture and flooring from fading, ensuring your interiors retain their beauty for years to come. Their insulating properties help regulate the temperature inside your home, keeping it comfortable year-round while potentially reducing your energy bills. With over 40,000 five-star reviews, Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. You can measure and install them yourself or have Blinds.com send local professionals to take care of the installation for you. There's no showroom, no retail markets, no no matter how many, or installation is just one low cost. And if you don't have an eye for design, Blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have the perfect treatments for your windows. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale right now through March 13th for up to 50% off. Again, save up to 50% off for a limited time at blinds.com. And when you check out, don't forget to tell them you heard about them at the Ben Shapiro show. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so the Democrats' attacks on RFK Jr. really were quite scurrilous yesterday. One of my least favorite modes that the Democratic Party goes into is the you must be an anti-Semite mode to people who clearly are not anti-Semites. I mean, RFK Jr., suggesting that RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite, I'd like to see the evidence on that one. Like, really, I want to see your work. Show me on the back of an envelope. And I'm not going to hear it from the same Democratic Party that has repeatedly and consistently 
put the existence of the state of Israel at risk, made excuses for the open anti-Semitism of Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Cori Bush, and the rest of the squad caucus in the Democratic Party. I'm not interested in hearing from you guys about anti-Semitism when the White House's anti-Semitism report that their preferred policy going forward was in part observed and written by the Council on American-Islamic Relations, an Islamist front group. I'm like, no, the answer is no. Listening to Debbie Wasserman Schultz lecture RFK Jr. about anti-Semitism is just galling. These are the same exact Democrats, again, who make excuses for some of the worst anti-Semites in America, elected anti-Semites. And yet RFK Jr. is so, because RFK Jr. made a comment at a dinner where he misread a study talking about genetic markers who and who is more vulnerable to COVID. The idea is magically that RFK Jr. is the real threat to the Jews here from the same Democratic Party that is currently attempting to cut a deal with the genocidally anti-Jewish state of Iran, the government of Iran, as well as urging concessions by the state of Israel to actual, honest-to-God, Hitler-esque terror groups like Hamas. It's just amazing to me and galling to me and disgusting. Again, it's all about power. Here is Debbie Wasserman Schultz suggesting that RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite because of that comment that he made about the genetic markers of COVID or some such. Let's be very clear here. There's no legitimate comparison to the Holocaust. It doesn't matter if you're talking about AI, AI, vaccine mandates, or anything else. There is no comparison. And if this were a slip of the tongue, Mr. Kennedy, or a one-off comment, we would all move on. But there's a deeply disturbing pattern. In 2015, you apologized to all those, quote, whom I offended by my use of the word Holocaust to describe the autism epidemic. When discussing efforts to encourage others to get vaccinated for COVID-19, you said Nazis did that in the camps in World War II. They tested vaccines on gypsies and Jews. That was a quote. Like before, you apologized for invoking the Holocaust, saying, quote, to the extent my remarks caused hurt, I am truly and deeply sorry. These are not real statements of contrition or remorse. They are passive-aggressive non-apologies that blame the listener for reacting to the lie you just spread. Oh, my God, he made a bad Holocaust comparison, almost like virtually everyone in politics. Again, do I like those Holocaust comparisons? No. Do I think they are appropriate? No. Do I think this means that RFK Jr. hates Jews? <laughs> no. And do I think Debbie Wasserman Schultz would give a crap even if he did? No, because half the Democratic Party caucus hangs out with people like Louis Farrakhan. Kamala Harris literally three days ago tweeted out a photo of herself with Jesse Jackson, the guy who said that New York was Jaime Town. The Democratic Party still sends its candidates like Pete Buttigieg to go hang out with Al Sharpton a man who once said about Jews in Crown Heights, pin your yarmulke back and come on over to my house if you want to fight me. I mean, like, I'm sorry, no. The answer is no. You have no leg to stand on right here. And the idea that you guys are going to use this as an excuse to basically throw RFK Jr. overboard, I don't believe you. Barack Obama sat in the church of Jeremiah Wright for 20 years while Jeremiah Wright spewed the most blatant Nazi-esque anti-Semitic garbage I've ever seen on tape. And suddenly, you guys care about this? Really? I do, again, I'm having a real tough time believing that this is anything but a tool of power for the Democratic Party, but obviously it's about principle for them. Here is Representative Stacey Plaskett from the Virgin Islands. She's a delegate. She's not an actual representative. And um, she, uh, she, of course, is going after RFK Jr. as well. Even knowing what they know about Mr. Kennedy's hateful, evidence-free rhetoric, and even though they've invited any number of witnesses to make their point, Speaker McCarthy, Chairman Jordan, affirmatively chose to give this a platform. They intentionally chose to elevate this rhetoric to give these harmful, dangerous views a platform in the halls of the United States Congress. That's endorsing that speech. That's not just supporting free speech. They have co-signed on idiotic, bigoted messaging. Oh, I mean... the Democratic Party has never co-signed on, on bigoted and idiotic messaging. They, they are just representatives of decency and light. Representative Jerry Connolly, he suggested you're here for cynical reasons. You're just a, you're a prop. And then my favorite part of this is where he's like, you are shaming the Kennedy name. First of all, I don't know how it's possible to shame the Kennedy name. The Kennedy name originally associated with Joseph Kennedy, one of the great anti-Semites of the modern age, and then passed along to John F. Kennedy, who was the president for three years and I understand that everybody in the United States has this very Camelot picture of John F. Kennedy's administration. The truth is that he was wildly incompetent. And then that was passed on. Next one up in line was Teddy. Well, first it was Bobby. Bobby was probably the best of them. And then it was Teddy, who literally drowned a woman in his car. So if we're talking about, you know, shaming the Kennedy name, 
RFK Jr. saying things that Jerry Connolly doesn't like is... Ay, ay, ay. Shaming the Kennedy name. Here we go. You're not here to propound your case for censorship. You are here for cynical reasons to be used politically by that side of the aisle to embarrass the current president of the United States, and you're an enabler in that effort today. And it brings shame on a story name that I revere. I began my political interest with your father. And it makes me profoundly sad to see where we have descended today in this hearing. Um, it, it, it's so, it's, these people are ridiculous. Why? Because he's threatening Biden. That's what it's about. He's threatening Biden. And that, that, that cannot be allowed. Hakeem Jeffries did the same thing. The, uh, the House Minority Leader, here he was yesterday, saying that RFK Jr. is a living, breathing false flag. I don't even know what he means that it's a false flag operation. Is he like a Reichstag fire? What exactly is RFK Jr.? Why would you give Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a congressional platform to spew his hatred? Here's the answer. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a living, breathing, false flag operation. His whole campaign is being run by right-wing political operatives who have one objective, try to take down President Joe Biden. That's why Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was given a congressional platform. Um, So I I just noticed that his campaign manager is Dennis Kucinich. (laughs) Key right-wing... Key right wing figure, Dennis Kucinich, a man who was so left wing that when he ran for president, he was so far to the left of the rest of the Democratic Party that he was in like the Jill Stein slot. These people are so pathetic, but must offend, must offend the geriatric Dottard who's in the White House and who's absolutely incompetent. And so we're going to rip into RFK Jr. That's what this is all about. And ironically, what that's going to do is it's actually going to create support for RFK Jr. because that's the way our politics work. It's going to create support for RFK Jr. Now, is that going to translate into victory for Republicans or something like that? There's not a lot of poll data to suggest that it will. But does it demonstrate the inherent weakness of the Democratic Party and of Joe Biden particularly? Absolutely. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's talk about maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So I've told you this before. I got a problem. I don't like vegetables. Vegetables are terrible. They're basically God's revenge on mankind. But you still have to eat them or you will die sooner because the fact is that you need to eat healthy. This is why I rely on Balance of Nature fruits and veggies. They're a great way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Through Balance of Nature's advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables are preserved. So you can get that vital nutrition in each capsule. Balance of Nature is a whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. Pure fruits and veggies. Those are the only things they put in their capsules. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for my team to try. We all love them. They're kosher, so I'm able to have them as well, and I can testify as to how effective and good they are. For a limited time this summer, when you become a preferred customer at Balance of Nature, they are throwing in a free fruit and veggies travel set and giving an additional 25 bucks off your first order. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for a free travel set plus 25 bucks off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro, balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. Okay, as I say, Democrats are deeply worried about the 2024 race, despite the fact that the polling right now is showing that Donald Trump, if he is the Republican nominee, is running at a pretty significant deficit to Joe Biden. So Biden can't break 50 percent with a hammer. The problem for Trump is that he can't break about 43 percent with a hammer. There's a new Monmouth University poll suggesting that Trump would be defeated by Joe Biden 
even if there were a third party candidate like Joe Manchin in the race. In a national survey of 910 voters, 47% of voters said they would definitely or probably support Biden. Only 40% said they would definitely or probably support Trump. A potential unity ticket comprised of Joe Manchin and former Utah Governor John Huntsman. Manchin is a Democrat. Huntsman is a Republican. Would barely eat into Biden's lead. He would still boast a 40 to 34 advantage over Trump. So basically, they draw equally from both parties. 63% of voters in this poll profess to have an unfavorable, unfavorable view of Trump. Half of all voters said they would definitely not support Trump in 2024. Again, the, the question here is going to be whether there are a lot of voters who stay home because they're not hugely fond of Joe Biden. I think what these polls are tending to show is that they may not be fond of Joe Biden, but they will come home if Trump is the nominee. Now, right now, there's some, sorry, I would say, you want to talk about fake polls and the fake polls? Okay, a fake poll that is now making the round suggesting that Trump is uh, leading the race by so far that Vivek Ramaswamy is now threatening Ron DeSantis for number two in the Republican nomination race. That's just not true. So there's a, there's a poll that came out from uh, Kaplan. Kaplan is, it, it is a Democratic Party polling group that is so off that they were they were actually claiming during the Nikki Freed run against Ron DeSantis in Florida that Nikki Freed was running even with him. And then Nikki Freed ended up just getting absolutely walloped. So that 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 polling group is bad. It's just not a good polling group. But one of the things that is clear is that obviously Trump does have a lead. I will point out at this point that there's been a lot of news talk about Ron DeSantis declining in the polls or Ron DeSantis sliding in the polls. I don't see any evidence of that. Ron DeSantis is not climbing in the polls. He's not he's not exploding in the polls. But Ron DeSantis is basically performing about where he was against Donald Trump all the way back in like May. So again, his poll numbers have been basically stagnant since May. And if you go all the way back to like October of 2022, before there was this bump that happened, the numbers are exactly where they were then. Right? So nothing has actually changed since about October of 2022. Something is going to have to change for Trump to lose the nomination to Ron DeSantis. But this idea that Ron DeSantis has been in a consistent sliding state is obviously untrue at this point, And that is something to keep in mind. Democrats, for their part, they're so worried about Joe Biden that they are just freaking out about the no labels group. So no labels is the group that is talking about running somebody like Joe Manchin. And Democrats are freaking about this because what they're afraid of is the possibility that it's a very close election and that a certain number of people vote for no labels. And it ends up being like Ralph Nader in 2000, where he won just enough votes to tip the election from Gore to George W. Bush. They're worried about the same thing happening as what happened in 2016 with Jill Stein, where Jill Stein's voting numbers may have been enough to push Donald Trump over the top against Hillary Clinton. So I think that no labels is actually going to achieve that. I, I rather doubt it. What they really should be worrying about is the symptom. OK, RFK Jr. has 15, 20 percent of the Democratic vote because Joe Biden is a bad candidate. That's the symptom. And that's really what they should be worried about. Okay, in just one second, I'm gonna get to a a story that shouldn't be shocking, but absolutely is. Again, our FBI has lost so much credibility over the past seven years. It's it's almost insane. We'll get to that momentarily first. Everybody knows I love my Helix mattress. Did you know they just launched their newest, most high-end collection, Helix Elite? Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix mattress for like seven years at this point. It is just as good as when you got it in the mail because that's how it works. You fill out their two-minute sleep quiz and then it matches you to a mattress that is great for you. Mine is firm and breathable, which is exactly what I need. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will come right to your doorship for free. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you're going to. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. Their financing options and flexible payment plans make it so a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben to get started and get 20% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for our listeners. Go check them out right now. Okay, meanwhile, absolutely a, a shocking story. So now we have testimony that has been revealed by congressional Republicans, the House Judiciary Committee. And uh, they, they revealed this evidence in a letter to the head of the FBI, Chris Wray. They say on, Ju- on July 17th, 2023, the committee conducted a transcribed interview of Laura Demlo, the section chief of the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force. During her transcribed interview, Demlo revealed that the same FBI personnel who were warning social media companies about a potential Russian hack and leak operation in the run-up to the 2020 election knew that the laptop belonging to Hunter Biden was not Russian disinformation. After the New York Post broke a story based on the contents of the laptop about Biden family influence peddling, the FBI made the institutional decision to refuse to answer direct questions from social media companies about the laptop's authenticity despite months of constant information sharing up to that time. Put simply, 
After the FBI conditioned social media companies to believe the laptop was the product of a hack and dump operation, the Bureau stopped its information sharing, allowing social media companies to conclude the New York Post story was Russian disinformation. So here is the deal. According to information available to the committee, the FBI confirmed the authenticity of Hunter Biden's laptop in November of 2019. November of 2019. Why is that important? Because they gained possession of the laptop in December 2019, right? Like a year in advance of this whole debacle. In the nine months leading up to the 2020 election, the FBI met over 30 times with social media platforms, all while they had possession of Hunter Biden's laptop and had already verified that it was real. Prior to the election, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan scheduled on behalf of the Foreign Influence Task Force at least five meetings with Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and multiple meetings with Twitter and Reddit. Between May and November of 2020, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency hosted at least nine U.S. government industry meetings, including four meetings in October 2020 alone. Representatives from the FBI, including Agent Chan, routinely participated in these meetings. In one meeting on October 7th, 2020, just one week before the New York Post article on the Hunter Biden laptop was published, the agenda explicitly listed hack leak concerns as an item of discussion. So the committee conducted a transcribed interview of the current FITF section chief, Demlo. She testified that by October 14th, 2020, the individual then serving as FITF section chief, Bradley Benavidez, as well as individuals assigned to FITF's Russia unit, knew Hunter Biden's laptop was real. Demlo also testified the FBI could and did share information with those companies regarding foreign malign influence operations. The Post published its story early in the morning on October 14th. That same day, representatives from the government attended a previously scheduled meeting with Twitter, during which a Twitter employee asked FITF about the authenticity of the laptop. According to the section chief, an analyst in the FBI's criminal investigative division embedded in FITF began to respond the laptop was real. That's when an FBI lawyer interrupted to say the FBI had no further comment. So here's the question. Are you familiar with the October 2020 New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop? I am. Do you recall whether any of these social media companies you were meeting with asked you any questions about it? I do. What is your recollection? So here's the key quote. I remember having a conversation with or being involved in a conversation with Twitter. I honestly can't recall if this was repeated to me. I might have been a few minutes late to the meeting or if I was actually there, but it was. It was related to me later. Somebody from Twitter, I don't recall who, I'm not sure who. Somebody from Twitter essentially asked whether the laptop was real. One of the FBI folks who was on the call did confirm that, yes, it was before another participant jumped in and said, no further comment. Following the meeting with Twitter, FBI personnel immediately deliberated internally about what information about the laptop the FBI would reveal to the social media companies when asked in upcoming meetings. According to Demlo, these internal deliberations, after these internal deliberations, the decision was made. FITF would say no comment going forward. Later on that same day, FITF met with Facebook. When asked whether the laptop was real, The FBI then replied, no comment. They knew it was real. They knew for 100% certainty it was real. But when they were asked by Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of these social media companies, instead of saying, yes, we know it's real. Instead, they said no comment. While simultaneously, I mean, according to Mark Zuckerberg, who said this to Joe Rogan, they were told by the FBI there were foreign influence operations that were hovering around in the ether at the time. So if you are the head of a social media company, And you have the FBI telling you there's a lot of foreign influence. There's disinformation out there, a lot of hacks, a lot of leaks. And then you ask them, so Hunter Biden's laptop, that thing real? And they say, no comment. What is the cautious move that you are going to make? You're probably going to censor the information in a quote unquote abundance of caution. That's how this happened. This didn't happen just because the social media bros are on the left. They are, but that really wasn't the issue here. The real issue here is that the FBI deliberately decided to lie by omission to these social media companies. That is an insane thing. That's an insane thing. Can you imagine you're working for Facebook and you ask the FBI, is the Hunter Biden laptop real? And they've had it for a year and they know full well that it is real. And instead of just saying, yes, we have verified that. Instead of saying that the laptop is a real thing, but it was, but whatever excuse you want to make, instead of doing that, they just lie by omission. They say no comment when they know for a fact that it is real. That is that is amazing. And that is certainly election interference. And you wonder why American trust, particularly on the right, has declined in these institutions. This would be the reason why. This would be the reason why. It's an amazing thing. Speaking of declining trust in the institutions, every day brings a new fake news story. So CNN is really pushing it today. So they, they have an entire article about the evils of Florida's education system. And this is now being backed by idiots like Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, who is so bad at politics that she's like a horrible chat GPT program gone wrong. So Kamala Harris descended to uh, Jacksonville, where she is um, speaking about new black history standards approved by the state. And she's going to put on her faux outrage voice. Kamala Harris is, it used to be Cory Booker. Now it's Kamala Harris. 
She's just a terrible, when we're talking about terrible actors inside the, the Democratic Party. So she's like Mr. Potato Head. So Miss Potato Head, I suppose. She puts on her angry eyes for this one. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us and we will not stand for it. She is a liar. She's a liar. Okay, let me explain what the actual standards for history in the state of Florida say. So what she's saying is that Florida teaches people that black people benefited from slavery. Slavery is a wonderful thing. Right? That's how CNN reports it, too. The Florida Board of Education approved a new set of standards for how black history should be taught in the state's public schools, sparking criticism from education and civil rights advocates who said students should be allowed to learn the full truth of American history. The curriculum was approved at the board's meeting on Wednesday in Orlando. The new standards come after the state passed new legislation under Governor Ron DeSantis, barring instruction in schools, suggesting anyone is privileged or oppressed based on race or skin color. The new standards require instruction for middle school students to include, quote, how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Okay, so the way that the CNN writers and Kamala Harris and the rest of this trumped up garbage, the, the way that they are, they are creating out of whole cloth this story is by selectively quoting. So let me read to you directly from the actual document, which, by the way, the educational standards are 212 pages long. So they really went searching inside this document. Here's what it says, quote, describe the, this is what is, required of the curriculum in Florida. Describe the emergence, growth, destruction, and rebuilding of black communities during Reconstruction and beyond. Instruction includes acts of violence perpetrated against and by African-Americans, but is not limited to 1906 Atlanta race riot, 1919 Washington, D.C. race riot, 1920 Okoe massacre, 1921 Tulsa massacre, and the 1923 Rosewood massacre. So they're angry that it says that there were acts of violence that were perpetrated by African-Americans during any of these riots. But that's true. Now, the curriculum doesn't blame black people for that. The whole point is that there's a racially unjust system that resulted in race riots. That's actually what the curriculum says. As far as the, the notion that the curriculum teaches that black people benefited from slavery, here's what the curriculum actually says. Quote, examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves, e.g. agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, and transportation. Instruction includes how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. In other words, black people despite slavery were developing skills that would make them incredibly valuable citizens after they were freed from slavery. That is a story of black resilience, not about how slavery was good for black people, you idiots. But it's not idiotic. It's deliberately garbage. In fact, the African-American History Work Group actually developed the standards. That would be Dr. William Allen and Dr. Francis Presley Rice. And here's what they say, quote, every standard benchmark and benchmark clarification was developed using a methodological process within our work group. Our work group began in February and worked through May to ensure the new standards provide comprehensive and rigorous instruction on African-American history. We proudly stand behind these African-American history standards. There have been questions raised about language within a benchmark clarification of standard, which says instruction includes how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, which, by the way, as they're pointing out, does not say that slaves were taught things that absolutely were for their own personal benefit. That is not what it was. Okay, quote, the intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show that some slaves developed highly specialized trades from which they benefited. This is factual and well-documented. Some examples include blacksmiths like Ned Cobb, Henry Blair, Louis Ladmer, and John Henry, shoemakers like John Fortin, Paul Kufi, and Betty Washington Lewis, fishing and shipping industry workers like, just, like Jupiter Hammond, John Chavis, William Whipper, and Crispus Attucks, tailors like Elizabeth Keckley, James Thomas, and Marietta Carter, and teachers like Betsy Stockton and Booker T. Washington. Any attempt to reduce slaves to just victims of oppression fails to recognize their strength, courage, and resiliency during a difficult time in American history. Florida students deserve to learn how slaves took advantage of whatever circumstances they were in to benefit themselves and the community of African descendants. It is disappointing, but nevertheless unsurprising, that critics would reduce months of work to create Florida's first ever standalone strand of African-American history standards to a few isolated expressions without context. We encourage everyone to view these robust standards for themselves. But of course, the entire media is simply relying on, the, on everybody to ignore all of this. Right? They're relying on, on the media to lie to them, even though the media are lying to them. That's what this is. It's a lie. It's a, again, the, the lies by omission are just as bad as the lies by commission here. And um, I should point out here that the, uh, the people who wrote the curriculum are themselves black. Francis Presley Rice is black. William Allen, who's been a guest on the program, is black. They wrote the standards, but apparently, again, Florida is deeply racist. You shouldn't, you, you can't trust them. You can't trust them. And they wonder, why is trust down? Why is trust down? Because of you, because of you. And just one second, we'll get to some actual democratic hypocrisy that is pretty astonishing. 
Remember the uh, the all the Democrats who were saying, you know, the Statue of Liberty, give us your tired, your poor, you know, yearning to be free. Um, well, apparently in New York, they don't want them anymore. So please go away. Please go back to the board. We'll get to that momentarily first. Now, it is important if you are a responsible person just to have life insurance. Okay, you need to have it. You're an adult, you got kids, you got a wife, you got dependents. The fact is that you need life insurance. This means you should head on over to Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Let me tell you from personal experience, it is satisfying and worthwhile to make sure that you have this because, again, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind that you need. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just 25 bucks per month for a million bucks in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius's licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can actually trust their guidance. There are no added fees. Your personal information remains private. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. Life insurance is just the responsible thing to do. Death awaits us all, but you got to make sure that your family's taken care of just in case. Go to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Also, when Dr. Jordan Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for people who champion free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards that remain unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content. I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours of captivating content you're not going to find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life. Those include Vision and Destiny, Marriage, and Dragons, Monsters, and Men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, like Logos and Literacy, and Jordan's groundbreaking series on the Book of Exodus. That's only the beginning. There's his Beyond Order lecture series. There's his extensive archives of lectures and podcasts. It's an absolute companion of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more new exclusive content on the horizon. It's only the beginning. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Become a member today. And meanwhile, it's always fun when Democrats are hit with the consequences of their own bad policies. So Joe Biden has basically opened the border wide. There's been a... a a, a sort of end to the giant lines of people outside the border on our southern border. Why? Because Joe Biden just opened the door, right? Just as just as there is a long line outside the donut shop before they open and then they open and then the, the line starts to thin out because people are actually getting their donuts. Well, now the processing at the border is incredibly fast. Catch and release is happening at an extraordinary rate. People are just showing up at the border. They're being given an asylum claim. They're being given a ticket and they're being let into the country willy nilly. Well, the problem is those people have to go somewhere. A huge percentage of those people apparently have been headed over to New York, the land of opportunity. So much so that now Mayor Eric Adams, he's like, uh, please don't, please go away. So it, it will never stop being amusing to me that mayors of major democratic cities are now whining and complaining when some thousands of people come to cities with millions of people in them, as opposed to when it's like small southern towns on the on the Texas-Mexico border, you know, towns of 10, 20,000 people who are just supposed to absorb all those people. Yeah, these are these are real caring folks. Again, as I've mentioned before, a lot of the Democratic pitch, which is that we care, we care. No, what they actually mean is we care enough to keep you far, far away, right? Social security is wonderful because it means that you can ship ma grandmama off to a nursing home instead of keeping her in-house. And illegal immigration policy is wonderful as long as we keep them down there in Brownsville and we don't let them come up to New York. Here's Eric Adams doing that routine. We stated several months ago that we have reached full capacity. And that full capacity was verbalized, and now New York is just going to be visually actualized. Uh, we're going to see how much of our cup has basically runneth over. We have no more room in the city. We have no more room in the city. Well, I mean, maybe they can take up all the um, all the rent-controlled apartments that are being abandoned by everybody to go to Florida. Maybe, maybe they can do that. Well, what happens to that vaunted New York hospitality? Also, that's not what the, the phrase cup runneth over means. <laughs> now it's a bad thing when your cup runneth over, apparently. Um, so New York City is actually distributing flyers at the U.S.-Mexico border aimed at discouraging asylum seekers from going to the East Coast metropolis, according to the Washington Post. The city has received more than 90,000 migrants since April 2022. Some 54,800 remain in its care, according to the mayor's office. He says New York is at capacity. He said, please consider another city as you make your decision about where to settle in the United States. These are bright yellow flyers in English and Spanish. So remember, if uh, if the state of Florida does that, that's because Ron DeSantis is a racist. If Eric Adams does it, it's because Eric Adams is a wonderful emissary of diversity and tolerance. The city is also giving 60 days notice to adult asylum seekers staying in shelters, after which they will need to reapply for a shelter placement. So they might be booted. 
New York City law protects the right to shelter. The move could raise legal challenges. So presumably a lot of these people are going to end up on the streets. Adams is trying to blame Republicans for all of this. But the reality is that if you did not have a president who's opening the border wide, this wouldn't be a problem in the first place. But again, delicious and fun to watch as Democrats see the results of their own policies. Okay, meanwhile, the idiotic controversy over Jason Aldean's latest song continues. His latest song uh, about Try That in a Small Town. We played a little bit about on the show. This is this is a and the music video involves showing riots and Antifa attacks and all of this. And it says, you try this in a small town, you're going to get yourself shot, basically, is the theme of the song. <laughs> because we actually care about each other out here. And no matter what your race and no matter what your creed, if you live in this small town, we have a level of social solidarity. This apparently is really bad. So bad that now... The NAACP is joining the conversation. Now, the NAACP has pretty much destroyed its own credibility on this, considering the NAACP also issued like a travel warning to Florida, which is totally crazy. I mean, I'm sorry, the demographic breakdown in um, in Florida by race suggests that actually black people are not so unwelcome in Florida. According to the 2020 census, about 12.4 percentage points of the, of the Florida population is black. Another 18.7% is Hispanic. White alone is like 60%. So, but, but the NAACP is like, you can't go down to Florida if you're black, which is just ridiculous on its face. Well, now the NAACP is saying that the, the song is really bad. The president of the Tennessee chapter, President Gloria Sweet Love, says that Jason's tone, his message and the imagery he's using are deeply offensive to people of color, especially black people. Sweet Love says the Tennessee State Conference NAACP finds the song and music video awful and racist. She adds in their eyes, the lyrics are bad enough. But Aldine's adding insult to injury by filming the video in front of the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, where a black man was lynched in 1927. So, uh, yes, that, I'm sure that's what Aldine was thinking. He wasn't just going to a convenient place to do the filming. It must have been that he did some deep research, found where a lynching was, and decided to film it right there. It nailed it. Meanwhile, The View, a conglomeration of, of complete idiots straight from Arkham Asylum, they've decided that also the Jason Aldine song is really, really bad. If you want people to empathize with your side you need, or your take or your interpretation, you need to stop and he should open his ears because maybe he doesn't consciously realize why a lot of people are not okay I'm, with this song I'm actually and he should gonna, really listen I'm, to that. I'm actually not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm pleased that you are. And I'm oh, there's a shot. You, you do agree that he should be allowed to say I, whatever he because wants. Because as a lawyer, when I put my legal hat on, yeah, okay. I don't believe in censorship. Right. However, this man is from Macon, Georgia. My father's from Augusta, Georgia, and Macon, Georgia. I both? spent many summers there. Yeah, both. I spent many summers mm-hmm. there. It is one of the most racist places in this country. Mm-hmm. So don't tell me that he knew nothing I'm about not, what that imagery meant say he didn't and what he. Uh, so I don't give him the benefit. But I'm saying, of, I don't along him with him, more people should the also other, be the other held thing accountable. Is, okay. Sending Haas, whenever she puts on her lawyer hat, it just demonstrates that the bar can be passed by people with IQs and double digits. It's truly an astonishing thing. I've been down in Georgia. Those are some of the most racist people in Georgia. Try Boston or New York sometime, lady. I mean, seriously. One of the great myths, the self-flattering myth that Democrats have, it's really amazing, is that the South is filled with brutal, vicious, redneck racists. And the North is filled with people who absolutely are not racist. And they, they love people of other races. Visit a major American city. Look at the levels of population segregation in those major cities and then go to a smaller town in the South. And what you're likely to see is actually significantly more integration in the South than you see in the North, just geographically speaking. Like, L.A. is a very segregated city. I was from L.A. Okay, L.A. is like you can go to particular areas and you know what the predominant population is going to be. Now I live in Florida and I got to tell you, like the population mixing in Florida is a lot greater than it. In fact, the black population is a percentage of population in many southern states is very, very high. Now, all those people have had several generations to move to the North. And that's actually what happened when the South was was finally freed of segregation. An enormous number of people, or even before that, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, basically from 1900 to 1960, the number of black Americans who moved out of the segregated South and moved up to the North was really high because they were attempting to escape the evils of Jim Crow and racism in the South. And then the Civil Rights Act happened. And then there was racial progress in the South. And now it turns out a huge number of black people live in the South of the United States, not because the South is more racist than the North. In fact, what polls show is that racism abounds, you know, basically everywhere. It's at the same rates in the West. It's at the same rates in the Midwest, the same rates in the South. As early as 2002, Gallup had a study showing, quote, the South, a part of the country that one would not historically associate with racial harmony, does not actually fare as poorly as some other parts of the United States in terms of race and ethnic relations or racial and ethnic integration. 
Well, there's certainly room for improvement in opinions about race relations in this part of the country. Gallup's 2002 race relations data and dissimilarity index results suggest the South may no longer trail the rest of the country when it comes to specific measures of residential integration and of attitudes toward black-white relations. That is as of 2002, as of 2002. And it's gotten better in the South since 2002. The the kind of pathetic anti-Southern bigotry that you see there from, from from Sonny Hostin. Oh, the South is just filled with redneck racists, but the North is filled with wonderful, diverse people. It's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But again, they're looking for an excuse to be angry. No one is actually angry about the Jason Aldean song. No one is angry about the Jason Aldean song. They're pretending to be angry because, again, the, the desire for, ra- for racism, the, the demand outstrips the supply. And so you're going to have to go looking for racism in a song that is, again, the song and the music video show Antifa members who are largely white looting places and burning things. The only people who are racist are people who think that when you say criminality is bad and if criminals try to do violent things, they should be shot. If what you hear there is that's anti-black, you are the racist because it turns out that race has nothing to do with criminality. If I say criminal and you hear black person, that's because you're a racist. This is the, and only the left is doing that. Them and the white supremacists, right? Is that that, that horseshoe theory, that hilarious video where it's like the woke guy and the and the white supremacists and they're holding hands. We have now reached that point. And the Jason Aldean song is just the latest symptom. Why do, why do I talk about The View? Well, first of all, because The View is a major television show that reaches millions of people every day. But second of all, because it is emblematic of what bumper sticker left-wingers think about things. It's a dumb person's version of left-wing policy on The View. And so when they say these dumb things, these uninformed things, it is actually representative about how a lot of people think about politics in this country. They don't think about it deeply. They don't consider the issues. But they think that people like Sonny Hostin actually have, which is shocking. Okay. meanwhile, speaking of Democrats doing things to compensate for their own policy failures, Chris Murphy and and the Biden administration, Chris Murphy is a senator from Connecticut and uh, and the Biden administration, they're now attempting to fight the epidemic of loneliness. Oh, my gosh, there's an epidemic of loneliness. And that's true. There is an epidemic of loneliness in the country. Their answer is, what if we actually use the government to fix loneliness? So now Murphy is is apparently positing some sort of legislation to establish a national strategy to combat loneliness and promote social connection. Murphy himself says kids are addicted to algorithms. That's what's happening right here. I thought it was going to be the parental consent provision that um, was uh, most concerning to these kids, but it wasn't. It was the ban on the use of the algorithm. These kids were really dependent on the algorithm, and they really couldn't envision a world in which they had to expend effort to find content that they were interested in. A Google search to these kids was way too onerous in their minds, and they were really scared of the fact that TikTok or YouTube might not just be delivering them content tailored for them. And they feared that they would be more unhappy if they had to do that work. Of course, the evidence is exactly to the contrary. The evidence is that a decade ago, when teenagers actually had to do more work uh, to find things that they cared about or to make connection with peers, that they were actually happier, uh, that they were less lonely. Okay, that is all true. Also, that is not the real reason why kids are lonely. Yes, the algorithm is addictive. Yes, I would not give my kids cell phones with the apps on them, give my kids access to social media. My kids are starting to hit that age. My daughter is nine years My oldest is, is nine years old. She's not going to have access to any of this stuff until she's like 17, 18 years old because I don't think that her brain is, is developed for it. But blaming it just on the decline of, of parental ability to stop kids from accessing social media is wrong. What this is really about is decline of community generally. So the internet has exacerbated the decline in community. Where is that decline in community coming from? Pretty obviously, it's coming from a decline in religious affiliation. It is pretty obvious that that's what's happening here. According to a brand new Gallup poll, the percentages of Americans who believe in five religious entities, God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil, have edged downward by three to five percentage points since 2016. So apparently, 74% believe in God right now. That is down from 90% in 2001. That is a marked decline. And there is, of course, a very, very strong correlation between political affiliation and religious belief. Between 78 and 87% and 87% of, Demo- of Republicans believe in those five entities. Only 56% to 66% of Democrats believe in God, angels, and heaven. Less than half say they believe in hell and the devil, which makes perfect sense. Less than half of Democrats believe in hell and the devil because that might actually imply actual punishment for doing bad things. It means really do believe in the concept of sin. When it comes to just God, like let's put aside some of the 
you know, angel, heaven, hell, the devil. Oh, let's put that aside for just a second. When you look at just people who believe in God, 87% of Republicans believe in God. 66% of Democrats believe in God. When it comes to hell, 79% of Republicans believe in hell. Only 48% of Democrats believe in hell because that frees you to do pretty much whatever you want. If you, if you believe that there is no punishment in the afterlife, well, there goes, you know, one of the incentive structures for not committing sins in this life for hedonistic purposes. The decline in religious affiliation is not just a matter of do you believe in God or not? I've talked about this before, but I don't actually believe in the phrase believe in God. I don't think that anybody sits around and mulls about God other than philosophy majors. Even people who are religious don't sit around thinking about God all the time. They act in God. They live in God. They live based on certain godly principles, and then they enact those in their daily life. In fact, I would say even many agnostics and atheists are operating off of religious principles. They just don't acknowledge that's true. If they believe there is a moral right and wrong, that is a religious principle. It is not discernible from evolutionary biology. If they believe that the universe is a place that you can actually understand, that your brain reflects eternal truths in the universe, for example, that's a religious principle. You can't get that out of evolutionary biology or deterministic biology. You just can't. Okay, so if you live in that world, you are living in a religious world. If you acknowledge that, then you might form communities of interest around those values. That's where churches come from. The decline of church is directly correlated to the rise in loneliness because church is where people used to get together. It still is for a huge number of people. Right? My family is not lonely because not only do we have kinship connections, right? We have my parents living close and my wife's parents living close and we've got two of my sisters living close and all the rest of this. We also have an incredibly close friendship group. We have a religious community with hundreds of families, all of whom are generally religiously like-minded. And that allows for a certain commonality of interest. It gives you a social safety net. It makes you feel as though you're involved. I've got people for my kids to play with. When you atomistically remove people from their church, which is the only place that has been durably proven to actually have social connection, then what you end up with is loneliness. But Democrats like that loneliness because church comes with strings. See, the thing is, any community comes with strings. Everybody likes to pretend the community is just like you and your friends being non-judgmental with each other. That's not true. Even you and your friends have a judgmental set of values with regards to people who are not you and your friends. Every, every group requires buy-in. Every group requires skin in the game. What the Democratic Party believes, what many members of the left believe, is that there should never be skin in the game. And that if you require skin in the game to be part of the group, that's an inherent imposition on you and your authentic identity. Well, that's going to break down into atomistic individualism pretty quickly, and that breaks down into loneliness because now you are removed from the commonality of interest, the skin in the game, the sacrifice that is necessary to be part of a group. And then you're shocked when loneliness abounds. Yeah, social media has exacerbated all of this. But one of the things I've noticed is that there are a ton of kids in the community where I live, and some of them have social media, but the loneliness rates ain't anything like what the loneliness rates are like in, say, secular society, where the kids don't associate with each other outside of school, where there isn't a 25-hour period every week where the kids go to shul together or go to church together or go to a community center together and hang out. And when I say there's no substitute for church, I mean it. There is no substitute for church, synagogue, mosque. There isn't. Okay, there's been an attempt to create ersatz communities of interest. You see this sometimes you know, in college groups or you see it at like a country club or a bowling league or something. It is not the same thing. The decline of church as a center of community because it is directed toward a higher goal. You need the higher goal in order to unify the community and create the structure of sacrifice that creates communal interest. You get rid of that, what you're going to end up with is loneliness. Direct correlation, not indirect, not secondary, direct correlation. As affiliation with church declines, this is precisely what you're going to get. And, and that's exactly what you're seeing. If you look again at the data with regard to affiliation, like who goes to church on a weekly basis, the numbers have been declining radically. Attendance at religious services, according to the Pew Research Center, only 36% of Americans say that they attend church or religious services at least once a week. Okay, that used to be much, much, much higher. If you, look at, if you look at church attendance in the past seven days, for example, over the course of time, Gallup has data going all the way back to like 1940. Okay, in 1939, 41% of Americans said that they went to a religious service at least once a week. That increased in the 50s all the way up to almost 50%, 49% in January of 1955. Even during the 1960s and 70s, that number was in the 40s. And then it bounced around during the 90s, and then it really started to fall off the table in the mid-2000s. In the mid-2000s, there was a wild decline in religious attendance. It went from 44% in, uh, in January of 2004 all the way down to, to 31% in January of 2023. And again, if you look at the changes in church attendance by political party, 
what you see is that it's declined markedly among Republicans, but it's still way, way, way higher than among Democrats. About 40% of Republicans say that they attend church weekly. Only 25% of Democrats say they do. Only 25% of independents say they do. And unsurprisingly, there is a high correlation between attendance at church and mental health. It's, this shouldn't be shocking in any way, shape, or form. To some people, it is because there is a belief that secular humanism was going to fill the gap, but secular humanism does not fill the gap. Because again, religious observance is more than simply between you and God. This is one of the things that, that Judaism makes very clear, is that there are commandments that are oriented between you and God. You can do them on like a personal level. If I say a blessing, for example, if I say a blessing over food, that is a, that is a question of me and God. But there is also a question of me and my fellow man. Right, the, the, the notion of, of Ben Adam Lechavero, which is like a person and his friend, versus Adam Lemakom, which is like a person and Makom means place, but it really means God. Those are two separate types of commandments. But the idea is that God is involved even in the relations between Ben Adam Lechavero, right? These are not things that you can simply pick up yourself. If you're talking about you know, how you treat your fellow man, that has to exist within the context of God, right? There's a third player there. When you remove the third player, it turns out that the relations between you and your fellow man tend to disintegrate. This should not be a shock, but that's exactly the thing that Democrats cannot actually allow for because that might actually require religious obligation and that might undercut a lot of the arguments they like to make about value systems. And so they're simply going to pretend that it's about the algorithm. It's not about, by, by the way, even if it were the algorithm, you know, it's the best way to fight the algorithm, religious church attendance. That's the, actually the best way to fight the algorithm. It's you know, fairly fairly amazing that that this this stuff even has to be said at this point and yet um it does i mean it, it really really does decline in religion has been a net negative not only a net negative a massive net negative for the united states okay time for some things i like and then some things that i hate so things that i like so the derek chauvin legal team is now taking the george floyd murder conviction appeal to the united states supreme court According to the Daily Wire, attorneys representing former Minnesota police officer Derek Chauvin plan to ask the Supreme Court to review his second degree murder charge in the death of George Floyd in 2020. He's currently serving a 22.5 year prison sentence he received in June 2021 after a jury found him guilty on charges of second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. The Minnesota Supreme Court declined to hear the case on Tuesday. Lawyers argued that uh, their client was deprived of the right to a fair trial by holding the proceedings in Minneapolis, which is very likely. And they held the proceedings directly in the center of race riots. Attorney William Mormon argued that Chauvin's criminal trial generated the most pre-trial publicity in human history, which is probably true. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, another terrible person, said that denial from the state's highest court means the Court of Appeals is correct in finding his trial was properly conducted and he was properly convicted under the law. So now they're appealing to the federal Supreme Court. Uh, I only put this under things I like because uh, I certainly hope the Supreme Court hears his case because it is difficult for me to imagine that Chauvin got a, a clean trial in that case. The notion that he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of those crimes is absolutely absurd on its face, on its face. The medical examination report showed no damage to the trachea, no damage to the neck region. George Floyd had an enlarged heart. George Floyd was high on fentanyl. George Floyd was begging to be let out of the car and put on the ground before he was. He was saying, I can't breathe before Derek Chauvin was on his shoulder slash back. Even the angle of the photographs that were taken, the defense, the, the prosecution experts acknowledged that in the photos, Chauvin did not appear to be on George Floyd's carotid artery. That trial is one of the great injustices in American history. It truly, truly is based on the evidence that was available. Okay, time for a, a quick thing that I hate. So there's apparently a weird TikTok trend. I, I do not understand this TikTok trend at all. Um, it's, it's very strange. So apparently, according to the UK Guardian, if you haven't seen them yet, the videos are mesmerizing. A content creator with long straight hair sits at her kitchen table rapidly stringing together nonsense catchphrases over and over with the same cheerful expression and tone. Uh, we will play it for you in a second. The trend is called NPC streaming, named after the non-playable characters in video games that awkwardly repeat pre-programmed phrases and movements. Its most recognizable face is Pinky Doll, a Montreal content creator whose ice cream so good clips went viral this week. Those phrases are actually her real-time reactions to gifts from her thousands of viewers who send over digital ice cream cones, roses, donuts, and hearts, which pop up as cartoon graphics on the screen. The gifts are worth anywhere from half a cent to a few bucks. With a big audience, it adds up in a full day. Pinky Doll says she has netted more than $7,000. Apparently, 
If you open up TikTok, you'll find plenty of imitators and parodies, each upping the, the ante of absurdity. One young creator sits in the tub, fully clothed in a sombrero, greeting viewers in a robotic voice while feebly splashing water in a loop. So um, it is entertaining and disorienting, says The Guardian. It's it's really kind of weird. It's it's an in-joke, I suppose, because, you know, they're they're making fun of the fact that if you play any of these video games like the Grand Theft Autos, that these characters inhabit this uncanny valley where they're basically sex dolls who keep repeating the same phrase over and over, but now they're doing it with live humans. So it's like half a joke and half a weird quasi-pornographic thing It appears to be the, the deal here. Uh, here is what it, it looks like and sounds like. Thank you, I am. Yes, Barbie. You got me feeling Barbie. Where's scan. Cake, 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 cake. Oh, thank you, Dad. You got me feeling like a queen. <laughs> take you, Nastia. Take you, Fiba. Oh, what is that? Slay, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Mm, ice cream, so good. Pop, amazing. Slay, huh? Jay, I got your name. Galaxy, wow. A lot of gift for you. Take you, miss. Wow. Firework. This is the most beautiful firework I have ever seen in my life. Oh, oh thank you, baby. I love you. Mm, ice cream, so good. Yes, 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 yes. Pop, amazing. Oh, thank you, baby. Where's my white dress? We can match the flowers on my head. Beautiful. Okay, so, um, what? So, my understanding is that this is the world that has been created by our video game addicted youth, the youths. So, basically what we have here is a nesting doll of insanity. So, we created, we created video games that include women who are done up in a particular way, dressed like this, presumably, you know, with hair that is straight because it's easier graphically and makeup in a certain way and cleavage and all the rest of it. And it's put in video games. And then because young males were playing these video games and they were apparently, I, I suppose, turned on by the non-player characters, that th this became sort of a meme. And so now you have actual human women playing the non-playable characters. So you had non-playable characters modeled on human women, but badly. And now you have women who are playing the non-playable characters who are playing originally humans. And strangely, the non-playable characters are more human than the women who are playing the non-playable characters. So number one, is it any wonder that boys are having trouble connecting with girls like human women? Because they're now operating at, at, at a, a twice remove from normal human women who do not do what you say. So part of this is obviously a sort of fetishistic control thing. Boys who, are, are, who couldn't you know speak to a girl who are getting a girl to say things to them or say things that they want them to say, treating women as essentially just meat puppets that they can make say whatever they want, which is what a video game truly is, right? They're digital meat puppets. So you're, you're getting these puppets to say whatever you want, but it's a real human girl. So I suppose that's a, a weird turn on for, for some folks. But again, it demonstrates that screens actually generate sickness, right? At a certain point, when you're no longer communicating with actual human beings, you end up at this remove where you strip mine away what makes people human to just the things that you want about the people. And that, that's really what this is, right? Every layer was strip mining away what makes somebody human. So what an NPC character in a video game is, a playable character means that you have a wide variety of things that you can do. There's a bit of choice that's involved by you, the player, but an NPC is a, is a character who's, who's you know, inhabiting the background or who says a set of, of phrases that they can only say, right? There are no other phrases that they can say. And so you've stripped, if NPC is to human, like a, a very basic robot, right? It, it's, it looks quasi-humanoid in an uncanny valley way. And it says a few human-like things, but it doesn't have any choice. And it can only say a few of those things. And then, But the idea is that that's not enough of a turn-on. So now you're going to put that. What, what they like about the NPC characters they now want in the actual human. A human who does precisely what you want and says precisely the thing you want and says a set set of phrases and looks in a particular way. If this is what you're expecting from women, gentlemen, good luck to you. But you wonder why reproduction is going to go down in the West. You wonder why people aren't getting married, why people aren't getting girlfriends. Because when you strip mine away, what makes another human a human in favor of the thing that you get some sort of perverse pleasure from? You can't have a relationship. Let's be real about this. Other human beings, messy, difficult. Conversations, difficult. I get it. I'm married for 15 years. We have a wonderful, beautiful marriage, my wife and I. But the, the reality is that she's a separate human being from me with separate thoughts and feelings. And we have to have conversations all the time about how I feel about things, how she feels about things. We're constantly negotiating with one another. You know, that, that, that is what it means to have a relationship with a human being. What we've done as a society, thanks to technology, is we've stripped mind away all of the difficult parts of relationship. And what you come up with is a life-sized human doll who says the things that you want it to say in a set order as you want it to say it. 
And, and so am I deeply worried about the, the technological future in which young men basically go get themselves sex dolls who can speak a few phrases to them and then they feel as though they've gotten what they want out of the, out of the bargain? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, de- I'm deeply concerned about that. We've basically prepped an entire generation of young men to want exactly that. That's what pornography has done. Pornography is a way of strip mining away what it means to be a woman. The feminist movement wasn't wrong that, that pornography is dehumanizing. Of course, it's dehumanizing. It's taking the part of what it means to be human and stripping it away in favor of the purely animalistic. There is nothing else left. It's, it's fantasy, right? This is, this is, again, why the entire pornographic world exists inside the world of fantasy. But fantasy is not reality. And you know what it turns out? Fantasy is not fulfilling either. Fantasy is empty. Fantasy is stupid. And this is like the highest version of that. It's a, this is the apotheosis of stupid, idiotic fantasy that strip minds away everything it means to be human in favor of just what appears to be bizarre crap on TikTok. And I'm sure these ladies can make a lot of money from that, but that doesn't mean that what they're doing is, is good for women. And gentlemen, if you are participating in this because you think it's, you know, memory or whatever, I would just, I would recommend that you think about, you know, maybe asking out an actual real life girl and having a conversation with her like a human being. All right, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into RFK Jr. talking about Israel in the most sterling terms, but apparently, according to Democrats, he's a wild anti-Semite. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 